Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always during football season by my main man, David <laughs> Simone. And we have a very special guest. Eh, special. I don't Very special. I don't want to oversell here. We've got a special guest <laughs> joining us. Former Cincinnati Bearcat. He was a quarterback. He was a defensive end. He did a little bit of everything. One of my favorite guys to come through the UC program uh, in my 13 years being around. Welcome in, Craig Carey. Craig, what's going on, brother? Not a whole lot. Undersell, over-deliver, Chad. Yeah, I mean, well, I, you know. Don't, don't ever sell it. Very special. <laughs> I, like, I, I didn't want them to think it was somebody bigger than, you know. Like, it, like they would have thought that, like, Barroom was coming on. <laughs> I definitely consider myself way bigger than him and way more important, so. <laughs> oh, the, the, the Craig Carey-Connor Barwin dynamic was always one of my favorites getting you guys to uh to talk and and have some fun with things so uh great to have you on and and it's it's interesting because you came in fairly early were you the second year of of mark d'antonio that you joined the program so yes i believe so so yeah d'antonio recruited me and then was uh under him for two years and then bk BK, came in so and five years total two with d'antonio and then three with bk um it's interesting because a lot of people have made comparisons uh, to the things that Luke Fickle is doing being kind of similar to how the program looked and where the program was at when Mark D'Antonio was here. The two are very close friends. Obviously, they, they knew each other from their their days together at Ohio State. Um, what are you seeing right now from this team as they've gotten <laughs> off to a 2-0 and start and uh, are looking to have kind of UC football back on the right track? Yeah, it's funny you asked that. I actually talked to Mike Mickens a little bit before the season, just kind of asked him about how he sees the season going and where they're at and where he kind of sees the, the program going. And he said, you know, it's a lot like our freshman year where, you know, we had the recruits, we had the talent, but we weren't sure how long it was going to take to actually see all of that come together. And looking at it now, uh, going 2-0, obviously that's a great start. So, they're a little ahead of where we were our freshman year, but they have the talent to continue to grow on that. So I think it's, it's very optimistic for me, myself and a standpoint of a lot of the other fans that I've talked to. So it, it looks great from my perspective. Um, the one, I think the big difference from D'Antonio's second year, which uh, to just kind of re- refresh everybody, and, and most people that listen to this are big fans, but D'Antonio's first year was a very senior-laden team uh, a team with Gino Gadulli as its quarterback, a lot of veterans. The second year, uh, Cincinnati was the youngest defense in the country, one of the youngest teams in the country. Um, took some mm-hmm. lumps, but started to get things turned around. I think the big difference between this second year of Luke Fickle and the second year of Mark D'Antonio, you've got a lot more veterans, especially on the defense. Cortez Broughton, Marquise Copeland, Brian Wright, Perry Young, Tyrell Gilbert, Malik Clemens, mixed in with those younger guys. Are you seeing a good – is what you're seeing a good mix of kind of that talent that's been replenished through recruiting, meshing with kind of, you know, some veterans that are showing them the way? Yeah, that, that helps a lot for the young guys, being able to come in and learn from those guys who, you know, have experience, have been around the program. And not only that, I mean, you see it on the field with the way they defended the athletes on UCLA's team and then obviously shutting out Miami, so – it's obviously a good mixture with them, and they can just continue to grow on that and then hopefully you know, not lose a beat once 
the experience kind of leaves and then this, those younger guys continue to gain experience. So everything's looking good for, on that defensive standpoint. Where'd you watch the UCLA game? Was that, uh, was that, you know, just a really fun experience to see them go out there and, and get the win in the Rose Bowl and kind of stamp that we're not, you know, the, the terrible team we've been the past couple of years. So I watched that from the Rose Bowl. So I, I oh, went out went. to LA and, uh, yeah, I went out there and got the experience. It was actually kind of fun because walking around, you know, the whole tailgating experience, you talk to the UCLA fans and they're pretty much just guaranteeing themselves a win and they're not worried about anything. You know, they're a 16 point favorite. And then it's a lot different when you're leaving the stadium after you've won and they were not expecting that at all. So it was an awesome experience. One, just to check out the historical Rose Bowl and then obviously get a win out there as well. Is it as picture perfect as people talk about at sunset? I've been there. Uh, I was there once. It was uh, 1999 for the Women's World Cup final. Um, and it, 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 there's nothing like that twilight you know, time when the sun starts setting in the Rose Bowl, is there? Yeah, when you get the uh, kind of the backdrop of the shaded, the one shaded side, and it's still sunny on the other side, and then once the sun starts to setting, you know, you get the the mountains in the background, and it's uh, it's pretty much flawless. That's that's probably the the best football stadium I've ever been in. Were you surprised at the result, or was that something that you were thinking they had in them? <clears throat> um, to be honest with you, I was definitely surprised. You know, I try to remain optimistic. Obviously, as a former player, and then now as a fan that UC is always going to be, you know, winning games. But, you know, with the past uh, few years and how things have looked, uh, it was not, I mean, I'm going to be honest, it was kind of hard to remain optimistic leading into the season. But like I said, it's, you know, with the recruits and the way uh, Coach Fickle has uh, everything looking as far as the program on the upswing. Um, <clears throat> I was definitely uh, just being UCLA in the program that I have, Chip Kelly coming in, obviously with the new offense and, and things like that. Um, I was. I thought it would be a close game, but I wasn't sure if they would come out with a win. But you know, when they did, it, it makes things a lot better. And uh, being out there was awesome to see. So it was a lot of fun. Does it feel like at this point? And I, I think some growing pains are still coming. Um, <laughs> obviously, twelve games—it's a long season. But like they almost skipped a step. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to go from struggling to being in close games and not quite knowing how to win like what you guys went through with D'Antonio where you know you were you you started to be in a lot of games and then you learned how to win and then you started winning big and then it just kind of snowballed from there it almost feels like at least at this point early in the season they've kind of jumped that learning how to win step and gone to we've got confidence now we feel like we can win that confidence is building yeah and and I hope that's the case. I hope that they've jumped that step. I hope there's not much of a regression because, you know, watching the games and being from a fan, you don't want to have to go through those tough times. And as a player, obviously, you don't want to have to deal with that either. So in my hopes, and I think everybody else's hopes, is that, yeah, they definitely skipped that step. And now that they have that confidence, they continue to carry that out through the season. And, you know, they become bowl eligible and things like that where they can – regain kind of the fan the fan base that not that the the fan base but you know some of the fair weather fans that are yeah. you know they're there when they're you're, you're winning games and then when you're not there they kind of have excuses not to go and attend the games and be part of the program and, and cheer on those kids and so i'm really hoping for them and for myself and selfishly you know being a season ticket holder and being back in cincinnati and all that that they skip that step and they just continue to win games and, and um 
continue to grow as a program. Dave, what do you got? Anything? Yeah, I was going to ask Craig, you know, from the outside, it seems like he played for maybe the two most different coaches that have ever, (laughs) you know, coached at UC recently, somewhat recently. Is that accurate? And, you know, how – how was that transition for you personally from Coach Antonio to Coach Kelly, and and kind of how did the whole team take that transition? Because from you know my standpoint as just a fan, they don't seem like they have anything in common other than wanting to win football games. Right. So obviously, both of their success will show you that their number one concern was winning football games. That's what they're there to do. That's their job. But. I think more so on the Dantonio side, he was more of a player's coach. You know, I think he knew the players um, better as far as them, as them as people and then even into their family, just from my experience. I'm speaking on, on, on my experience and kind of more so um, since my brother played there, my experience is slightly different than when BK comes in. It's strictly almost like a, a CEO's approach of running a business and he's there to win games and, you know, if he's if that that's basically the main focus so the one thing i will say is that a lot of people from i guess kind of even within our team and then outside of the team they uh didn't really see one side of coach kelly that i was able to see being in the quarterback whereas you know when you you see him on nbc now and you know he gets that red angry face and he's yelling and cursing on national tv in the in the quarterback meeting rooms he was not that way at all very laid back and very calm, you know, telling you your progressions and reads and things like that. So I had a slightly different perspective and grew to love him in that way. But then as soon as you like cross those lines onto the practice field, it was that switch that you now see on, on TV watching Notre Dame games. But it was, it was very interesting to, to see both of those sides. Um. You're you're back now. Uh, you spent some time in Houston after your playing career. That that had to be terrible. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, this this time this this time of year it is when it you know when it becomes kind of May June through August and September the humidity is absolutely brutal. So that time of year is absolutely miserable. But you know October through February and March it's wonderful. Yeah, when it's not 14 degrees and freezing. Uh, exactly uh but you're back now and and you're helping out with uh with an alumni group to get guys you know back around and closer to the program Uh, what has that experience been like and what has the response been like uh between you guys and coach fickle between you guys and former players uh to get you know all the former guys kind of re-involved and back around yeah, it's um, you know, we kind of did it on a whim. Like there, there have been talks about doing certain things, and I guess people in the past have tried to do, kind of tried to create this group, and it just ended up kind of fizzling out. And then, you know, myself, Alex Apian, Tom the Temple, uh, Randy Martinez, Dustin Grutzen, J.C. Baker have kind of, I guess, spearheaded this initiative to get former players more involved with the program. Um, and as you guys well know, you know. Cincinnati from you know football perspective with coaches it's it, they, they turn over they have a tendency to turn over which is fine I mean we kind of have to accept that being a program that it is but we we want to develop this what we're calling it Cincinnati uh Cincinnati Football Letterman's Club so if you letter in the future in the 
um, pass and, you know, you're a member of the uh, football team. We want to build this group where there remains continuity within the program. So whether it's, you know, Brian Kelly or D'Antonio or, you know, Butch Jones, Luke Fickle, if, if they're leaving and going on to bigger and better things, we still want there to be continuity within the football program as well as, you know, being able to connect with people who have played in the past, you know, guys that played in the 60s and 70s and throughout the decades and being able to mesh and, and bring our experiences together and not only, you know, help build the program, but also help with uh, kids who are in the program currently, you know, when they graduate, we want them to have a network to reach out to, whether if it doesn't, you know, pan out for them in the NFL, we want to be kind of an extension of the program into the real world and be able to help them in that way as well. So we're uh, kind of in the infant stages, but we've seen a lot of development from last year, just kind of throwing a tailgate together, you know, two weeks before the and the first home game to now we have a website and different things like that. We're uh, developing certain perks for, uh, you know, letter, letter winners in the past. So it's, it's, it's gaining traction and um, things are starting to, we're, we're starting to see, a lot more um, buy-in from um, people that, you know, we've played with and, and, and from decades past as well. How about Barwin? Is he, uh, is he, does he talk to you still or is, is he, is he big time to you? <laughs> oh, you know, he has his big time moments, but we actually, we, we still, uh, we still test on almost a daily basis, probably not daily, but definitely multiple times a week. And he's registered as a, as a, a Cincinnati football letterman's club winner and, all that and you know he 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 wants to do anything he can to help obviously you know Cincinnati played a big role in in his development and where he's at today so he's definitely willing to help and he's completely bought in very excited about things that we've developed and where our club is uh, moving forward how cool is it to see him and Kelsey two guys that you know you were pretty pretty close to in your time here to see those two guys not only go on to have NFL careers but to have you know, profound NFL careers. Jason's now the mayor. Right. Jason's now the mayor of Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's got to be cool as, as somebody that got to know those guys well to see the success they're having. Yeah, it's 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 really cool, honestly. Um, I was actually thinking about that the other day. You know, growing up, obviously playing football my whole life, and you have certain you know players that you look up to, and you know, watching the NFL throughout your life, and these guys have played, you know nine, ten years that you remember and you look back like, wait, those are now my friends. Those guys that you're looking at are like, this is their tenth year in the season, eighth year in the season. Those are now the guys that you've played with and you're able to see, you know, the success that they've had and it's it's kind of surreal in a way just because you grow up watching the game and and watching uh, the NFL players and having those guys that you look up to. Now, you know, Jason and Connor and Wolf and Travis, those guys that I played with are now, you know, the next generation who those kids are looking up to now so it's 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 really cool honestly i've i've heard legendary tales and i've asked jason about this when he's been on this podcast of course he answered himself but who was the bigger drinker kelsey or barwin because i i've heard they the two of them could uh could hold their own they're both cheaters i'll tell you that they're both cheaters (laughs) cheaters huh I, i I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. A little, a little old drinking story. Um, Connor and I obviously lived together uh, in college, and we hung out with Jason. And um, 
Jason and Connor, you know, in a certain drinking game were partnered. And then me and Calaris were partners and we would go head to head with each other. And those two somehow found always found a way to win, but come to fruition that Jason was, um, he was altering his beers to uh, drink them faster. We'll say that. So that they're, <laughs> if you're not cheating, you're not trying, so you can't knock it. But yeah, those two are cheaters. <laughs> the competitive spirit from two guys. That, that's how they end up in the NFL for 10 years, right? They, they know how right. to win. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, Craig, we appreciate you taking out the time. Uh, I, you, you were kind enough. You're out to dinner with your wife and uh, some friends from out of town. And you were kind enough to step yep. outside and uh, chat with us. It's greatly appreciated, man. Thanks for coming on. We're glad to have you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Anytime, any, anything you guys need from me, just let me know. I'm always willing to hop on and, you know, talk Bearcats football. So it's near and dear to my heart and something I love, and especially now being back in Cincinnati after being away for about seven years or so. Now that I'm a lot closer to it, it, it you know, not that it ever didn't mean a lot to me, but being closer and being able to see, uh, you know, how the program is being run and things like that with our uh, the club we're trying to put on and, and uh, things like that. So it's, it's been really cool. And anytime you guys need anything, just let me know and go Bearcats. Hey, I don't know if you've heard or not, but we're having a watch party for the UConn game. And there's going to be beer involved. What's, <laughs> what's, what's the date of that? Uh, the 29th of September. I mean, I can probably be a part of that if there's beer involved. Obviously, you know where? Do you know where? Uh, do you know where Taft's Brewporium is? Is that is that the one in OTR or that no, area? It's, it's the other one. There's two. There's. It's, I don't know where the other one. I think is. it's it's over by Mitchell. I think. I mean, I can I can put it in the Google Maps and figure it out. That's not an issue, but right. yeah, for sure, we'll be there for that game. Come check it out. I'm sure people would love to uh, to chat and uh, get some some stories stories that we can't tell on the air are uh, usually the best stories. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I don't know if um, if you guys are aware or not. I know that they're putting together a 2008 Orange Bowl reunion for the yeah. uh, OU game, and I know I think there's going to be like. Not, not that I'm going to be signing any. I don't know if Marty or Pike or those guys will be there, but there's going to be like an autograph session and things like that. So it, it's going to be a really cool experience to come back 10 years later and be honored uh, at halftime and, and kind of go through that game of things being honored. Like, but yeah, I don't know if I don't know. Wasn't sure if you guys were aware of that, but I'm not going to be signing any autographs probably. <laughs> but uh, there might be some guys that would be worth getting some. Not, my, not myself. But. Hey, you had you had a the what the pick in the Illinois game. You had a you had a a, a play that helped. Uh, it wasn't that season, but a, a play that helped win a game for the Bear. Like you, you had your moments. Is this, it was, yeah, I had an interception against Fresno State. That Fresno was, that State, was that's a play that I had. I'll play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me I'll know. Play. Let me know on the uh, the reunion stuff when you guys have details, and I'll be glad to put it on the board. I'm sure all our okay. members would love to know. Uh, when they could meet up and, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a groundswell of support of people asking for Craig Carey to get his autograph. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, uh, if you're, if you guys are up there, I don't know what time you guys get to the game on Saturday, but uh, we have our Cincinnati football Letterman's Club tailgate. So we'll have our kind of um, insignia or, you know, our branding flying at our tailgate. So if you, get there early enough come swing by and you know meet some of the former players and chat it up and whatnot we'll, we'll be around we'll be at all the home games absolutely i'll stop by uh, i usually hang out at dave's tailgate for a little while and then i uh i i wonder for a little bit before i make my way into the stadium so i'll definitely stop by and say hello yeah, that's, 
that's that's on the grid, so right there by the Bearcat Walk. All right. So Sounds good. Thanks, man. There. Appreciate right, it. Thanks, Appreciate guys. you have, coming have on. One. You too. Yeah, no problem. Craig Carey. See you later. See you later. Former Cincinnati Bearcat and uh, now in charge, uh, one of the guys in charge of the uh, the Letterman's Club and uh, helping get that together and organized. And, uh, I, boy, I bet living with Barwin and, and being as close to Kelsey as they were, I bet there are some epic stories that could be told about those uh, those days, Dave. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If we had more time and he wasn't out to dinner, I wanted to ask him what he thought of Jason's mummer's outfit <laughs> and his and his speech at the Super Bowl parade for the Eagles. But uh, that might be one for for another time. But yeah, absolutely, it's great to to get the former guys on the podcast and and see their, you know, excitement in what's going on this season already and you know what they're what those guys are doing to try to get the, as many of the former players back involved. It's always it's always a big deal. I feel like that's like a big sign of kind of where you are as a program when you know you have a big former player group that uh, you know is, is doing what they can to help out this current team. Absolutely. That opening segment Brought to you by Trace Pontas. Trace meaning three in Spanish. Pontas meaning peaks in Portuguese. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. Coffee beans are roasted to order. Your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we ship has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know the coffee is fresh. Uh, the background of these guys, they're named after the Trace Pontas mountain range. Uh, famous for growing some of the best coffee beans in the world. For over 100 years and three generations, the Race family has been growing some of the best premium coffee in Brazil. Uh, the deal with Trace Pontas, the Reese family had only sold their premium coffee beans to local roasters in Brazil. It's the first time they've ever exported their well-regarded coffee beans to the United States. Now you can enjoy a premium cup of Brazilian coffee, fresh roasted, and shipped directly to your home. Uh, the uh, You can find... Trace Pontas Coffee in two easy ways. You can go to their website, www.tracepontas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com slash coffee. Uh, like I said, they're all uh, roasted fresh and shipped immediately as you order. 12-ounce bags, uh, whole bean and ground coffee. They also have now K-Cups. So if you've got a Keurig, you can get them in K-Cups. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. <clears throat> or you can buy on Amazon. Just search for Trace Pontas. Uh, all orders enjoy free shipping in the United States from either Trace Pontas or the uh, Amazon website. And if you are going to get you some Trace Pontas coffee, put the, the, the code BEARCATS in at checkout, and you will get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. So enter that code at checkout, BEARCATS, B-E-A-R-C-A-T-S, and you will get 20% off of your subscription. You can sub do a subscription for one week, two weeks, four weeks. It's your choice. And uh, you'll save 20% off every time with the promo code BEARCATS. So, Dave, uh, I don't think we're going to spend, uh, obviously, the BEARCATS uh, take on Alabama A&M on Saturday. Yeah, you, you don't want me to break down the Bulldogs? Maybe for a minute. Well, a little bit. But I don't think we need to necessarily spend the next 30 minutes breaking down Alabama A&M. So 
in no, your they're... in your in your best Dave Simone fashion. Give us a quick look at what to uh, expect from Alabama A and M. What you're expecting from Cincinnati, and then we'll get into some other topics. Uh, let's see. the The Bulldogs are one and one on the season. They defeated Miles College Week One, thirty-seven nothing, and then lost last week to North Alabama, twenty-six to twenty. They've, I believe, given up five sacks through the two games. Their quarterback has thrown an interception in both games. Uh, that's about it. I, I don't really think there's much. It's needed to be said. I'm, I'm hopeful and anticipating that this will be an FCS game unlike some we have seen in the last few years. With the last three years, they've been either close or trailing at halftime and just managed to win. Like, they didn't win. They, yeah. they managed to win. Right. You know what? I don't think that's going to be the case Saturday. I'll tell you what. I give Luke Fickle a ton of credit for his press conference Tuesday. Did you get to go back and watch the whole thing? I did. Do you know what I'm talking about? What I'm going to point to? Uh, no, I don't. When he was talking about last season, and he made the, the point that we didn't even really get to enjoy those wins because it never really felt like we should have won. You know, like... Yeah, and actually, that was not the first time he said that either. Really? I haven't heard the other uh, times. No, I, I believe he kind of made that comment after the UCLA game or right after the Miami game, one of the two where it was just kind of like talking about more of a feeling of relief than a feeling of excitement or, you know, st- whatever you want to say, where, you know, you don't play well and you beat an FCS team, you have whatever you want to call it happening against Miami last year. Chuck Martin, that's you what have we're going to call it. Chuck, the UConn Chuck game happened. where they score a touchdown on the last play of the game, get a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty and miss an extra point. Like, you know, Tulane misses a chip shot field goal in the last two minutes. So really it was. It was like four wins last year, but None of them were impressive, and maybe outside of the FCS game, you very easily could have lost the other three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand where he's coming from and in saying that, you know, they were more of reliefs than feeling like we played well and we earned this victory. But I think that's big for him to, to own up to that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's important in the rebuild process to, to even acknowledge that, hey, man, we won a couple games last year, but that's not really like how we like, you know, that's not our recipe for winning. It's right. Well, just hang around I, and then do something crazy. And, yeah. It wasn't coach speak. Appreciate that when after you've had, you know, Tommy Tuberville saying, the program's way better than it was when I got here, except on the scoreboard. And, you know, prior to that, you had all of the Butch Jones-isms. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, is ref- it is refreshing. When, if, when I can sit here and you can sit here and 95% of the fans can sit there and go, man, 
they won four games last year, but they, you know, none, none of, nothing about them was all that uh, encouraging. And then the coach can say, yeah, like these wins definitely mean more because we're playing better and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, not just squeaking by teams that have inferior talent to us. Yeah, I mean, that was the one thing. And usually those those press conferences, I don't really take a whole lot from them because not much is said. Um, you know, I, I ask a few questions that are, you know, on the top of my mind. <clears throat> but th- there's not really a whole lot to take. That just really stuck with me that he actually went there. You know, that, that he, yeah, actu- yeah. He, he actually touched on it. He actually put it out in the open that, you know, we didn't, we didn't really have a lot of fun with those, even the, the four wins that we had last year. And this is something different. Um, right. Uh, I just, maybe that's just me, but you know, the, he definitely seems to be a little bit more comfortable in his own skin this year. And you're definitely seeing a different Luke fickle at practice. I can assure you of that. Um, he's, he's definitely lighting a fire under some dudes. He, uh, this is two practices in a row. Now I've seen him kind of get that spark and, you know, like if he sees somebody not doing exactly what he wants or putting a, putting a charge into him instead of, you know, not that he didn't, not that he wasn't like that last year, but I think you're just seeing him put his foot on the gas a little bit more because he's, he's starting to see a team that is looking like the team that he wants and he wants to continue to push them to get better. I think that's, you know, a, another progression um, that that we're definitely seeing this year that I don't necessarily know was was like that as much last year. Well, I think it's a little bit easier to coach that way when you have some pretty talented younger players, uh, maybe on your two deep or your three deep right now, where you can say, "Hey, these guys are coming." You either pick it up on a given day or from a game, or we're gonna we've got other guys that can can go in now. Where maybe you know whether it was a reluctance to burn a red shirt last year under the old rule, or a reluctance to put a young player out there in a situation in the season that wasn't going as anyone had hoped. Whatever the reason is, I think you know this year that he has that kind of ace in the pocket so to speak yeah and uh it's it's i i want him to do well because i genuinely like him like i i genuinely think what the the direction he's heading this thing is the right direction the way that he's doing oh, it is I, the right I definitely way to do agree. it i mean definitely agree i think the strides they've taken especially defensively um, are very, very encouraging, you know, taking into account that they still are pretty young on defense. So a lot of those guys are going to be continue to get better, and a lot of those guys will continue to, to be Bearcats for the next, you know, year or more in some cases. So, yeah, it's definitely encouraging. And, I, you know, we can get into – we'll get into the Miami game a little bit, I'm sure, and then what we kind of hope to see for – this week and moving on. But yeah, I mean, obviously there's always going to be areas of improvement. I don't think when you and I or whoever talk about certain things, we're not like 
forgetting the uh, the things that need to be improved, but we're just saying, like, enjoy this. This is fun. Like, I don't really think many people let, thought they'd be 2-0 and at this point and be playing kind of as well as they have been in those two games, given the circumstances. Absolutely. I, I That's what I think more than anything just frustrates me with sports anymore. Just in, enjoy it. Right. Like, your team hasn't lost yet. They're probably going to lose at some point. But until then, like, don't get into the, the micro of, of it. Just like, we've won four games the last two years. Enjoy the heck out of that the team is clearly improving and they're clearly having, bringing in better players and they're clearly getting better from week to week and from last season to this season. So, I mean, that's what every fan wants. And maybe one day, I don't know if it's this year, next year, whatever, maybe one day then we can have silly expectations again of we should roll to an AAC title or we're a favorite to get that, you know, bowl game. So, but right now that's not where you see it, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy the process of, you know, a program that's taken some pretty big strides so far uh, through two weeks of this season compared to kind of what we saw for the last, you know, 24 games, really. I mean, the last two years aren't really discernible, even though the coaches were different. I mean, they kind of all run together and the performances and, and, you know, game to game operation of it all seemed pretty much the same. Even the year before that, I mean, even you could go back about three years and it, you could tell things were just kind of, sliding right so i mean you know i'm yeah. definitely looking to see more improvement this week but you know especially on offense so but it doesn't it doesn't temper right what i think you know it's what i can have i can be critical of one side but still appreciate and enjoy that the team is winning and playing better as a whole and looks more cohesive and looks more together and looks more bonded than, than they were last year and still say, you know, there needs to be improvements in these areas. Agreed. Uh, speaking of improvements, have you, I, I don't, and you know, I don't watch every football team incredibly close. I, I do. Every football team, all of them. I'm pretty, um, pretty much. I, you'd be surprised how much trash football I watch in a week. <laughs> have you ever seen a team from year to year improve tackling the way this team has improved? Because their tackling I don't know. I is mean, that, impressive. That was definitely one thing I, I wanted to mention. There was, you know, a couple of players individually I wanted to kind of recognize from the Miami game. But just given the conditions, given how bad they tackled last year, the Miami game specifically, I mean, I'm sure there was some instance where there was a missed tackle or a broken tackle. But, I mean, with how wet it was, and how difficult it is to change direction laterally and wrap guys up when they're soaking wet. Like there were not many, if any, like blatant missed tackles where you could tell, especially at the fourth quarter, Michael Warren running the ball, there were numerous missed tackles and broken tackles on the Miami side of things. So, I mean, they're tackling absolutely this year 
has been much better. And, you know, part of me probably thinks that you're a better tackler when you're a more confident player in knowing what you're supposed to be doing and having confidence in your teammates that they're going to be where they are. Like on these couple plays, like the James Wiggins hit and the Perry Young hit, you're able to attack a ball carrier like that because you know, I see it, I read it, I go, and I know that my other teammates are where they're supposed to be as well. So that if I do miss, that it's not some catastrophic, I missed the tackle and this guy's going 60 yards. Like there's going to be another guy coming quickly to clean up you know, my miss. I have a great example of that. On the Wiggins play, which was a little swing pass out in the flat. You know why that guy didn't know James Wiggins was there and got smoked like he did? Because Boy. Brian Wright was right on his heels. Brian Wright had snuffed out the play and was going to make a tackle either at the line of scrimmage or for a loss. Like, he was bearing down on the guy. And the guy knew it because when he's looking back to see the pass, you could see Brian Wright coming at him. And he, right. and he caught the ball, and he's trying to evade Wright. And by the time his head gets all the way turned around, James – and the closing speed on that from Wiggins, I mean, he was – at least 12 yards away when the ball was caught. And and he he read it, and he just got shot out of a cannon and smoked that guy. But that's what, oh, you, yeah. that's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. That guy is worried because Brian Wright had sniffed out the play. He's not as worried about getting his head around and looking downfield, and all of a sudden Wiggins just absolutely destroys him. So yeah, I, I mean they're th- that was defensively just... they're definitely locked in and playing as a confident group right now. I mean, you, Terrell Gilbert did I thought did an outstanding job yeah. on on James Gardner. Um, you know, given that Gardner is is a really really good college receiver, and I mean he had seven catches, but he I mean I gotta think he was targeted twenty times. Yeah, I mean, they threw the ball 41 times. A lot of them were targeted at Gardner. So, I mean, in seven catches, I think it was 80 yards, several pass breakups. Um, I thought he played really, really well. And when I went back and rewatched the game, I thought Cortez Broughton played Excellent. exceptionally yeah. well. He That was maybe the best I've seen him at diagnosing plays and getting to plays outside of his area, whether it was a screen pass that he he would sniff out and make a play more towards the sideline. Uh, he had the, the tackle fumble that just luckily popped right into the Miami guys' hands on their own 10-yard line where that was more of like a stretch run, and he, he read it down the line, wrapped him up, and flipped him basically, and the ball came out. So, I mean, I, I thought he played very, very well, and that's, that's such an encouraging thing with him and Copeland. It's going to be very hard for the teams that UC plays to get any sort of positive traction on the interior you know, run game with those two guys playing the way they are. No, I agree. Like When you're watching film of what those two have done so far, how do you adjust your blocking scheme to that? Because they're just destroying everything on the inside. You double team one, you well, put the I mean, other in single coverage. Right, you're going to double team one, which allows 
them to then be the other one to be singled up. And what I'm hoping maybe then that also allows is maybe that allows you to use Brian Wright in more of a pressure situation up the middle on certain plays, because if they're double teaming Cortez and the other guard is blocking Copeland one-on-one, there's no one to block a free runner up the middle. Right. So, so, I mean, it's, it's definitely, I'm not sure, you know, I haven't gotten too intricate in it to see if that's something that they've, they've done yet, but it's something that I could definitely see them trying to do if, if things continue, you know, if teams are, forced to double team one of those guys. And I thought on the outside, I thought Pitts and Fitz did well as well. Um, you know, you didn't see yeah, exact I mean, numbers, but those two, you know, I go back to what we talked about in the, the, the preseason podcast. They're getting pressure. They're getting the guy off his spot, which a lot of times that's just as important as getting a sack. It's not, you know, we talked about, not wanting to see quarterbacks stand there with their feet planted, you know, and being able to make throws wherever they want across the field. And so far we really haven't seen any of that um, in the first two games. Oh yeah. And I think obviously the weather had a huge play in it. No one's going to discredit that, but you know, we didn't have the sack numbers, but Kenny Young, the running back was their leading receiver, which tells me that, we were doing good job in coverage, but then we were also forcing Raglan to check the ball down. And he threw the ball 41 times for a 3.39 yards per attempt average, which is insanely bad. Joe Flacco like, thinks that's insanely bad. bad. Yes, Joe Flacco thinks that's terrible. <laughs> like, five is bad. So 3.39 is awful. So, And that's very similar you know, to the UCLA number, actually. Right. I mean, you know, it's one thing to get sacks, but, you know, obviously they weren't going to throw the ball down the field a ton, which I was kind of surprised they still tried to do it as much as they did with the, with the weather and the yeah. wind and everything. But there's a reason that they're, he's either throwing it away or dumping it off to a running back, and it's, guys are either covered or there's pressure. Yep. So either way, I'm good with it. Like, you don't need to sack the quarterback Ten, you know, five, ten times to be an effective pressure team. I mean, it's when you only allow three point three nine yards per attempt. You know, that's just as good to me as a sack because that means that when they're throwing the ball, even when they're completing it, they're still in second and long and third and long. Right. Um, so this week, what are you looking to see the Bearcats get out of the game against Alabama A and M? I want them to throw the ball a hundred times. <laughs> I'm not joking. A hundred. Like, maybe not, Maybe 50. That seems like a more realistic number. Like, I don't need to see Mike Warren run the ball against Alabama a and I, I, I know what that's going to look like. I need to see Des Ritter run a whole drive where he's throwing the ball in almost every play, where he's going through progressions, where he's, you know, using different targets where he's using second and third options. Cause we haven't seen any of that yet. And this is the perfect time to do that. So, you know, I want to see them throw the ball a ton. I want to see the receivers, whoever it might be, step up someone, maybe multiple guys have a big game. And I want to see Charles McClellan and Tavion Thomas get the ball. Like I would be totally fine if Mike Warren touched the ball five times. 
seems like four too many. <laughs> I mean, I'd give him the handoff on the first play. <laughs> honestly, I mean, I'm, I don't disagree. I mean, because you you shouldn't need Mike Warren just about more than five times with the way your defense is playing and the way your special teams are playing to totally dominate this game. Like, this is the per- this is like a fourth preseason game. I want to see them throw the football around all over the place because it's really the only the only element of the team that we truly don't really have a read on. Right. You know, we have a pretty good idea that when it, when the, when the chips are down, they're going to be able to run the ball against most teams. Um, you know, for the most part, I think the offensive line in the two games has done pretty good in pass protection. Um, obviously the defense has been doing what, We've, we've already talked about, and we have an elite punter, and you know, the kickoff coverage and, and punt return and kick return teams seem to be progressing at a good clip as well. So, I mean, really, what else is there to see in a game like this other than the offense and the, the passing game? No, I agree. I, I, that's kind of my mostly my takeaways as well. Um, I'd like to see some of that second team defense get a little, a lot of time as well. Um, I think you could see a big game from like a Malik Van. Um, I think we haven't heard enough about uh, Marcus Brown and Curtis Brooks, who are the heir apparents inside a defensive tackle, who I think both have a chance to be very good. Um, we just talk so much about Broughton and Copeland that those two guys never really get brought up. Um, yeah, I think Javon Hicks. Uh, has a chance to be very, very good at safety. Um, man, James Wiggins is good, by the way. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we're going to, defensively, I think you're going to see, you know, if and when the score gets out of hand, I think you're going to see a huge rotation of guys. I mean, I was there till the very end Saturday. Myjay Sanders was in at defensive end. Jabari Taylor was in at defensive tackle. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think, you know, if they're doing what they should be doing, the starting the starting defense, or even maybe some of the two deep guys that are the main rotational guys, will be out of there. You know, maybe th- early third quarter, definitely you know fourth quarter. So we could see, you know, you could see a whole different group than we've than we've seen already this year. And I, Wiggins brings up an interesting conversation I wanted to have with you on this podcast. I was talking to someone okay. that, uh, that is that is very close to the program. And we were talking about the best NFL prospects on this team. It started originally, we were talking about Copeland, um, and that he's in he's in that tweener spot, that, that it's, you know, he's got a chance, yeah, I mean, but it's going to be a challenge. To me, Copeland is more of a 3-4 defensive end right. than a, an actual defensive tackle in the NFL. He's yeah. a little short and not heavy enough to be a, a true nose or a, or a D-tackle in a, in a four-man front. But the talk turned to best NFL prospects on the team, and I, you know, <sighs> my my thought was at this point, I think Brian Wright looks like an NFL middle linebacker. He does. Um, I think he, him, I think James Wiggins as a safety, and I want to see more. Obviously, he's very young, but I think Christian Bryant or Kobe Bryant. I keep saying Christian Bryant, Kobe Bryant is your kind of new wave, bigger, longer corner. 
that a lot of teams have been targeting. And I just want to see him in because really, you know, it was tough to see in the he Miami hasn't overall game. been tested a ton. Right. I just want to see his his speed game because yeah. you really haven't had to see him run with anybody. He ran with the guy at the UCLA game and made made a huge play. So I mean that's encouraging. But I think those three right now and I mean James Smith's James gonna play Smith in the is NFL. The big, yeah. is, is the most NFL <laughs> prospect on the team if we're really no, that, getting that, down to it's it. It's funny you say that because the person I was talking to said I said Brian Wright, he said James Wiggins. And then I followed with, well, the other James actually might be the best pro prospect on this team because he's going to spend a long time in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, he's because when you think about it, I mean, he's been punting NFL college football style for two years. Yeah. And he was practicing to get to the point to be good enough to play in college. But he's not like one of these kids that's been punting since yeah. they were in high school and going to all these punting camps and doing, you know, he's a newbie when it comes to that. The 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 thing that wows me is the amount of improvement he made from last year to this year. And that's not to say he's it wasn't a lo- really good last year. He was first team all conference No, he's gotten year. a lot more distance and kept the hang time. The hang time. Um so I mean, just the way that he punted the ball the other day. I mean, he's a metro. You would have figured. Dude. You would have figured, in those conditions, the number of kicks that he had, he's gonna mess up one, and he didn't. I mean, he had some that were better than others, but there were none that were just like, oh god, that one went twenty-five yards into the wind, and you know Miami's got the ball on the fifty instead of the twenty-five. We were. And the, I, I, for those that don't know, I'm always, almost always down on the field. Uh, I was not down on the field. I was in the press box because I don't like getting that Weak. wet. I, I don't mind. A, I, don't, I don't mind a little rain, dude. There were players at the end of the game with hypothermia symptoms. There, there's that Xavier sauce, dude. Hypothermia symptoms, bro. <laughs> Like, legit onset of hypothermia. There were guys cramping, and they're like, why are people cramping? This is not cramping conditions. They're not lacking <laughs> fluids. And then when they, you know, and it would happen on both sides. One, I heard one of the Miami guys, his back locked up from shivering. <laughs> yeah, for real. So, yeah, I sat in the press box. But That's all right. we were actually, we were marking 48 yards from the line of scrimmage. Like, oh, that ball's going to the 16. Boom. And sure as hell enough, I think all but once, the ball went 48 yards in the air. Like, he is a metronome. It, it is like clockwork. He does the exact same thing every time. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, it's, it's very much like golf. I yeah. mean, you get in a groove where it's, you know, one, two, one, two, and it's just, it feels, every time you kick it, it feels good, and then I'm sure he'll have a game where, for whatever reason, everything is, is messed up. Yeah, that's going to happen. you know, he's got to fight, he's got to fight through that, but, yeah, I mean, it's but back- been impressive, and it's a, it's been a huge, just in this, just look at it in this game, especially in the second half, Miami had 132 yards of offense in the second half, 
and 32 in the fourth quarter. And I'm pretty sure every one of their drives started inside their own 25. Yeah. And you're not going to, you're not going to drive 75 yards in the pouring down rain against the defense playing as well as you see this playing right now. It's just not going to happen. They didn't get something. inside. You're going to mess, you're going to mess something up. They didn't get inside the UC 25, did they? Uh, no, the 27 yard line yeah, was the, the closest they got. The closest they got. And a lot but of that Chuck was... Martin still insists that the game was winnable. Yeah, of course. When you had zero opportunity, you had zero chance to score the entire game. Yeah, the one guy dropped the one ball that would have been on the one yard line. Yeah, but, but I, well, okay, you had one chance tough, to score. One tough chance catch. to score the entire game. Uh, but the, yeah. back to Wiggins real quick. This guy was an afterthought a year ago, Dave. He was an afterthought pretty much in the spring. Like we weren't. We we weren't talking about him a lot in the spring. Chris Murphy was ahead of no. him, and then to go from that to looking like one of the three or four best players on the defense consistently, I mean that's you got to give the kid a lot of credit, man. He he has come a long way in five six months, and, yeah. And credit They're to him, you know, playing well. Murphy has the the MCL sprain or meniscus or whatever it was. And that slowed him down in the spring, and Wiggins leaped at the opportunity. And next thing you know, he's looking like an all-conference guy for a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have a whole lot else to you. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, since I, I think next week, because we'll have one non-conference game left, and then we'll get into league play, I think we can kind of, yeah, you because know, I have some thoughts on it. I'm sure you do too. Kind of assess changed expectations, yeah. if you will, um, and kind of you know we'll be three weeks in for most teams. We'll have somewhat of an assessment of where the league is kind of shaking out now. Obviously, I don't know if we'll have that much to really discuss about this week's game. Um, yeah, I think so next week I would be that, a good week to kind of take a take some stock of the AAC. Um, as we head into the the final non-conference game, we yeah. wanted to do it tonight, but we've been we're we're running long. Uh, yeah, and I think it just makes more sense to do it next week anyway. Yeah, we're not going to have um, a whole lot of Alabama A and M content. I wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't hope. I'm I'm hoping not. Yeah, <laughs> if we have to talk a lot about that game, something's gone terribly wrong. Well, terribly I mean, if. That means we're, we're a far cry away from what we've seen the first two games. And I, right. I find that hard to, to believe right now. Yeah, I'm with you. What's the uh, what's the tailgate specialty for this week? Do we know yet? Actually, there is there is no tailgate. What this week? Everyone in the family is going to a, a very very long standing family uh, wedding in in Cincinnati. The the uh, my grandparents and this couple have were friends, you know, are friends so forever, and uh, the the one of the granddaughters is getting married. So everyone has been invited, and everyone is attending except for me. I was not invited. <laughs> so they knew better. <laughs> well. I, I'm not. I'm not really that you know close to them as much as my mom and my aunts are to their. Yeah, but all your cousins uh, you were know. invited too. 
<laughs> well, my not my not my cousins, more so my aunts, and so my dad's got to go, and blah blah blah. So no tailgate this week. Uh, we will have the breakfast tailgate next week for the OU game. Uh, so, but yeah, so I will be. I'm not sure what we're doing. I think we might be going to to U Square and then maybe to the Grid for for the pregame Saturday. All right. Well, maybe we'll take Craig. Up oh, and on. I did. I did real real quickly want to say, and I it's my my fault on not getting these guys' names. But when I was tailgating prior to the Miami game, I was going coming back from going to the restroom, and a guy was like. I loved you on the UCLA podcast. You should tell Chad that you, he should let you be like that more often. <laughs> Drunk. And I, then I actually <laughs> ran into him again in the game towards the end of the game, and again forgot to you know ask you know who they were. So that was my my huge mistake. But they you know we got, we got fans out there, and apparently they they want to see you know like uh, Pac-12 after dark. They want more. Bearcat Journal podcast after dark type content. They want more drunk Dave. I got I got yelled at too. <laughs> you, you got you got me scolded in the press box. Oh well. There's a, a certain play by play guy for uh, the Bearcats and the Bengals. Yeah. Who was listening to our post game UCLA podcast in the car? <laughs> yeah. And you dropped an f bomb. And, yes, I did. And his 12-year-old son was in the backseat. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very sorry, Dan yeah. and Sam. I'm sorry. And he said Sam was was in the backseat giggling with his hand over his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, could you hey. could you not do that again? And I said, I, I, we've never done it before. That was <laughs> just a little bit of uh, uh, an off-the-cuff yeah. uh my, my excitement got the better of me. <laughs> we were both a little lubricated for that for that special edition, and Dave let one slip. So I apologized. Yeah. Earlier. But Sam, yeah, Sam, well, I, I appreciate that. Sam heard you say a bad word. Uh, I'll try to try not to do that again. If you're listening, Sam, Dave's sorry. He's very sorry. Very. Very. <laughs> that was the first thing I walked in. I said, "Hey, Dan, how you doing?" He said, "We got to talk." <laughs> oh god it wasn't it wasn't bad he, it was lighthearted. I, I know but, but i still don't want you know it's not necessary no no so no no more uh no more foul language on the bcj podcast well, even BCJ, i don't think i'll do we do we have to specify like after dark if we're going to do one after dark yeah, like a, a, put a disclaimer adult, at adult, the beginning adult I, yeah I, I think maybe it will be understood from this point forward if we're doing a podcast live. If we release a after podcast a night, after midnight, after yeah. a night game, you know, you might it might happen. <laughs> Somebody asked me, "Is Dave going to be in the press box with you?" And I was like, "Are you kidding? No, no there's no. They don't have beer, beer here. in the press box. <laughs> That's why I don't go on the field before the game." Is it cuts into tailgating? Is it why I don't watch games in the press box? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <clears throat> All right. Well, I don't have anything else left to you. I guess predict- no, prediction. Good. What's your prediction? Oh, prediction. Um, 48 to 7. All right. All right. I'm going to go 41 to 10. I think they might get, might get a little bit of uh, – 
movement against the the young guys in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely you know possible. And and as much as I we and we joke about wanting to throw the ball, they're still a running team. Yeah. So I don't think this is one of those situations where you're going to see like seventy-seven and nothing. Right. Like uh, Miami beat Savannah State last year. They're still going to run the ball, and that's always or more times than not going to keep the score down and you know run the clock out quicker. Mike Bruce was at practice on Tuesday. Jared Dooks was not. So is that uh, a new running back, Mike Bruce or Taylor Bruce? Sorry, <laughs> Taylor Bruce was at practice on Tuesday. Jared Dooks was not. Uh, I think there's a good chance we'll see Dokes back, at least in a in a limited role against Ohio. That's what I kind of have been have been thinking. I just, you know, in a perfect world, you can get him some reps this week. But all things considered, it's it's kind of pointless when you really look at it. And if they're running backs, you know, he's been in the system. He knows what's going on. His health is way more important than, you know, knocking off the rust. It wasn't like he was going to carry the ball 20 times anyway. So, right. you know, if he played, it was going to be five carries, 10 carries, something like that. So, you know, if, if you err on the side of extreme caution in this case and have him ready to go for, you know, the last eight games. Um, also, I would not expect to see an overload of freshmen. True freshmen. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, I asked Fickle about it in the weekly presser. He said basically they decided they were going to evaluate. They they had made a decision on guys through the first six games, and then once they got through six games, they were going to do evaluations on the other guys to see if they felt like they were ready and if they wanted to start sprinkling them in. Uh, this game does not fit into that window, so I think you will see the guys that we have seen already. I don't expect any of those guys to redshirt. As things stand, the guys that have played in the no, first two I, games. I think the guys that have played in the first two games are going to play in all 12 as long as they're healthy. Yeah. Um, but I I don't think you should look for guys that we haven't seen yet in this game. So that's my final thought. Uh, I know that's something people have talked about, the impact of the, the, the red shirt rule and what you know, what role it would play in the one double A or the FCS game. I think maybe that's a different answer if it's game one. Now that it's game three, they've already settled into a lot of things. Um, I don't think they're looking to, to change up uh, the group that they've got um, that they've been putting on the field. So that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Bearcats, Alabama, A&M, seven o'clock Nippert stadium, pack the nip and uh, all black, which I like to see. Yep. Going uh, black on black on black. Uh, going with the, the customary, what I think should be the customary Nippert Stadium attire uh, with the all black. 7 o'clock at night kickoff. Um, I will be there. Dave will be there. Craig Carey will be there. You should be there too. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.